want to cheer for our kids. They're all crying because the dads aren't back there working the nursery like we were last weekend. We were raising the bar, raising the bar. Actually, they probably were crying on the way to church. Are those men going to be in there again? Except for the kids that were in the class with Juice because he kept leaving his aunt energy drink unattended. So if some of your children had a hard time going to sleep, there could have been some causal relationship between those two events. I'm just, I'm just saying, just saying, just could be, could be. Hey, how, how many of you recognize the person that was singing during the video announcements? Anybody recognize that voice? I know. That's our very own Chris House. So he just had a, a uh, I'm calling it a CD. Do you call it a CD? Could, and, uh, what's, what's it, I'm going to ask Kevin, Kevin, what's it called? His album dropped. His album dropped. <laughs> See? You're, you're getting some education tonight on how to talk to the next generation. So I'm going to, so Chris House, his album dropped this week. Yeah, I know, I know. So you can go into iTunes. I've been listening to that song, Arise, all week long. And so uh, it's, uh, it's called Sing Jesus. And if you go onto iTunes and you search for Sing Jesus, if you don't know how to do that, then you can come on Wednesday nights when our teenagers are meeting and, and uh, they will help you do it. And uh, some of you might have your computer and all your cords, right, coming into the building with you. We'll, 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 uh, we'll, we'll make sure that you, but you, you need to get that. It's just, it's an amazing, and we're, Chris isn't here this weekend, but uh, we're just so excited that he's the creative arts director here. God has gifted him in such an amazing way. And so uh, you're, you're going to be blessed by getting it, but we're going to encourage you to bless him by, get, by buying it. That makes sense. And so you have, you have something to offer. So I have one more thing I want to share. My fortune cookie story is better than your fortune cookie story. Yeah. Because we believe in winners and losers here at the City Life Church. And, and when it comes to fortune cookie stories, mine's better than yours. And so if you're, if you're one of those people, you've got hang-ups. You think that if you're a Christian, you can't look at, read fortune cookies. We just, we release you from that in Jesus' name, from that legalism. So if God can speak through a donkey in the Old Testament to, to, to redirect Balaam's life, he can use a fortune cookie, right? I'm just saying, all different ways. God can use, and so when Vanessa and I, we're going to celebrate 17 years of marriage at the end of this month. I know, you can clap for that. It's actually going to be here on Saturday, right, the 31st, and, uh, and so we were, uh, we were at our last pre-marriage counseling appointment uh, with the, the, the uh, Pastor Carter and, uh, and his wife Judith, who uh, were the lead pastors of the church where I was on staff, and, and, uh, and they were doing our premarital counseling. We were at our last one, and we went out to a Vietnamese restaurant, love Vietnamese food, and, uh, right, and Vietnamese coffee, right? It's just, uh, let's, can we just talk about that for a minute? That is a, served with sweetened condensed milk. It is a wonderful thing. So, so we were at the end of the meal, we all got our fortune cookies, right? and I get my fortune cookie, and I open it up. I still have it. I still have it today, and uh, that little piece of paper did not say that the flowers of the field are yellow, because that would have been lame, right? That was great. My, mine says, I kid you not, mine says, look no farther. Happiness is beside you. Yeah, I know. My fortune cookie story is better than your fortune cookie story, right? I know. Yeah, isn't that a great it's awesome. It's awesome. And so, of course, I already knew that, but, but uh, now that's a little keepsake that I have in my office up on my bookshelf with all the other keepsakes that I've kept throughout life. So, um, you know, one of the things that we, that, that, that we talk about here at City Life is, is, you know, we've launched a campus in Williamsburg. We believe that there are many more campuses that are going to launch out of, out of this church and out of, and out of Williamsburg. We'll one day launch campuses. You with me? Out of campuses. It's like seed. It's like spiritual seed that 
goes into the ground. And, and one of the things that's important to us is that we're going to have live teaching and live worship at, at every campus that we ever do. Now, there's, that creates a demand. It creates a, a, there's a complexity to that. But it's born out of a belief that we have that sometimes God wants to speak in the moment that's different from what you've planned. And, and if, you're, if you don't have live teaching and live worship there, then, then you can't move with the flow of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? And so at, at, what, at all the campuses that, that we have, it's going to be live teaching and live worship because, because it could be like nights like tonight where we want the person that steps up into the pulpit to have the freedom to say, I really feel like God's speaking to my heart about moving in a different direction. And we want to be able to go in that different direction. We don't want to have to, we pray over our plan. We pray over the agenda. We pray over the sermon series that we put together. And, and God speaks through that and he anoints that and he moves through that. But then there's just times where he just, I don't know why he does it that way. I, I think it it could be because different people are here in the room, right? And he's, you know, he already knows who's going to come, but we don't know who's going to come. And so, and, and I think sometimes he just does it just to remind us that he's in charge. I think sometimes he does it that way because he wants to, to teach us how to just listen for his voice, to be obedient to him. So sometimes he changes things up, I think, too, just because he wants to see what we're going to do. And our commitment in our heart is to say, God, what are you saying and, and what are you doing? And we want to be a part of what you're saying and we want to be a part of what you're doing. So, so we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching tomorrow morning in Surrey. And uh, my good friend Jerry and, and, and Sylvia Shannon, who pastor over there, and uh, and so I've been putting together two messages all week, and and uh, and just in the office this afternoon, as I was getting my notes together for tomorrow morning, I just began to feel something growing in my heart that uh, some of the things that I'm going to share tomorrow could be a word for for uh, for us tonight. And so then when David got up and did his wrap up and was talking about a fresh word from God he has for you, I just knew in that moment there's just feeling inside that hey, we're supposed to do that. And so we're going to leave this slide up. We were going to be talking about spiritual language tonight we're going to be pushing that to next week we'll see right we're going to push that to next week will be the plan and uh and so i'm going to do something a little bit different tonight this is the the, the phrase that i want to share with you i don't have any slides for you because i'm not using slides for tomorrow but if you've got a bible you want to reach for that and uh, if not i'm going to be reading a lot of text and if you're a note taker there's going to be a lot of things that you can write down by way of note so let's just pray can we do that let's just pray Father, I, I think tonight about all the times, just even as we are worshiping God, just the, you reminding me about all these moments in people's lives as we, as we read through Scripture where, where, where people woke up one morning and they had no idea that they were going to have an encounter with you that was going to change their life forever. Think about Matthew, the tax collector, and how there was a morning where, where he woke up and he was just planning to go about his day as he always went about his day. And, and little did he know that someone was going to come and stand in front of him and give him an invitation that was going to redirect his life. And think about the widow of Nain, father, who's, who's, who was a widow, and her only son had died, and her, her, her son's funeral was that day. Little did she know that Jesus and his procession was, was coming to that city, and that they were going to meet on the road, and that her son was going to be raised to life. She just, she woke up that day grieving. She woke up that day in a place of sorrow. I think about the, the, the man who was by the pool of Siloam and friends would bring him there and leave him there and he was hoping to see the waters stir as the legend would go and, 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 but he knew that he couldn't get in but then there was, Jesus was gonna come, come and he was gonna create a pool that was around him right where he was and he carried his mat home on that day. 
person after person, Father, that we read about, especially all through the Gospels. They, they, they wake up one morning and they just think it's going to be a day like any other day, and then they have an encounter with you that heals, that delivers, that sets free, that calls, that redirects. And we know that today is one of those days. The, the people that are in this room tonight, myself included, we woke up today. And we had an expectation of how this day was going to play out. But Jesus, we believe that you are alive in this room now just as you were on the earth 2,000 years ago. That you are here in a very real way. And, and one of the beautiful things about your resurrection is that when you are here in a physical form, you can only physically minister to one people at a time. But in your resurrected state, you're here as if each of us are the only person in the room. That in this place of resurrection that you now have the power to minister to each of us as if we were here by ourselves. So as David wrapped us up so prophetically, we just, we open our hands in this moment and we say, Jesus, we want from you what you came to give. We want to receive from you what you have come to speak. We, 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 we want to follow after you down the paths that you would lead us that we're going to wake up tomorrow a little bit different, and for some people tonight, a whole lot different than the way we woke up today. Come on, and if you believe that in Jesus' name, everybody said together, amen. amen. So, so this, is, this is the statement I, I want to give you. When Satan realizes heaven is promised to you, which, which means that you've made a vow of devotion to Christ. It means that you've taken your first spiritual breath. And if, and if that hasn't happened for you, come on, it can happen tonight. That maybe something in this service for you, maybe it's already happened, that when you look into the story of your life, you cannot find a moment like I can find. In, in, in December of 1990, when I was 23 years old, there was a moment where I said, Jesus, I'm going to live my life for you for the rest of my life. I made a vow of devotion to Christ. If you can't find that, then maybe tonight's going to be the night that that becomes a part of your story. When, when, when Satan realized that heaven is promised to you, he can only steal the heaven that is today. When, when you make a vow of devotion to Christ, he realizes he can't, he can't undo. He can't undo what God has done, and so he changes his strategy. He begins to work to rob you of your heaven that is now. He begins the work of trying to derail your destiny. He begins the work of trying to redirect you in a way so that the life that you're supposed to live remains unfulfilled. In Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11, if you're a note taker, you can write that down. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Many of you are familiar with this text. This is where Jesus, after his baptism, was led out into the wilderness by the Spirit of God to be tempted by the enemy. Now, in, 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 the, uh, in the Pauline epistles, you find that he teaches that, that one of the common uh, three ways that the devil tempts us is through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And what you realize when you study Matthew 4 is those are the three temptations that the enemy brought to Jesus. And now, if you're familiar with the story, we know that Jesus overcomes in that moment. He doesn't succumb to the temptation. But if you read the book of Hebrews, you realize that Jesus was vulnerable to temptation. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. The, the writer of Hebrews says that he was tempted in every way. In every way. Now that's a mystery for us. How can that be? We don't understand that. But the Bible teaches us that he was vulnerable to temptation. You might read that and, and say, well, he was able to overcome because he was perfect. He was perfect, but he was also fully human. He was vulnerable to temptation. And I believe that if he had somehow faltered in that moment of temptation, 
God would not have rejected him as his son, but his destiny would have been derailed. Are you, are you tracking with me? When, when you're walking through life, if you've made a vow of devotion to Christ and you falter, you mess up, you make a mistake, you're, you're not rejected by God as his child, but if you're not careful, if you continue to walk in a place of disobedience, the destiny that God had dreamed for you could find itself unfulfilled. There is a part that you have to play in the destiny that you're called to live through the choices that you make every day of your life. And if you're here tonight and you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, heaven is promised to you. The devil can't take that from you, but the destiny that you have, the influence that you're supposed to bring, the people that you were supposed to reach, how you deal with temptation that comes to you day in and day out directly affects your ability to fulfill the destiny that you've been called to live. In John 10, verses 1 through 10, I want to read these to you. John 10, 1 through 10. It says, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. And the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them. And they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. And those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. And all who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate, and those who come in through me will be saved. And they will come and go freely and will go find good pasture. Verse 10, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. When heaven is promised to you, the enemy begins to do the work of robbing you of the rich and satisfying life that Jesus died for you to have. When, when, when heaven is promised to you, the enemy begins to do the work of trying to take from you. Another translation renders it a, a life lived to the fullest possible measure. He doesn't want you to have that. That's why the, 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 the message statement, the vision statement of our church is heaven now, heaven forever. It's not just about the heaven that's to come, it's about the heaven that's today. And we want to be a church that teaches you how to guard against the enemy as he comes to try to rob you of the moments of today that matter. In 1 Peter 5.8, he writes that the, that the devil is like a roaring lion roaming about seeking whom he may devour. He's a devourer, he's a thief, he is a liar, and he is actively at work in all of our lives trying to derail us from the destiny that we're called to live. Psalm 27, 13, you know, if you've been a part of this church for any amount of time, says, I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord when in the land of the living. Listen to Psalm 92, verses 4 through 6. Love this verse. You thrill me, Lord, with all that you have done for me. I sing for joy because of what you have done. Come on, not just for what he's going to do, right? But what he's done, what he's doing now in my life. Verse 5, oh Lord, what great works you do, right? So it talks about all the great things he's done. He's talking about all the great things he's doing. Now, how deep are your thoughts? Only a simpleton would not know, and only a fool would not understand. Scripture is so full, as David was talking about in the wrap-up, of so many great promises that God speaks 
over our lives. And in this journey, this side of heaven, we've got to decide which voice that we're going to follow. And I hope that tonight something's going to firm up in your heart that you're going to say, I'm only going to follow the voice of the good shepherd because I believe he has a good destiny and a good life and a good calling. And I'm not just concerned about the heaven that is tomorrow. I'm concerned about my heaven that is today. And I'm not going to let the devil rob me of the things that God has for me. In Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul, it was in an ancient time, in an ancient world, and warfare was very different than, than it is now, but armor was a very important part of warfare. And so as you read through the Pauline epistles, you'll find that he keeps drawing in all these metaphors that connected to people in the day in which they lived. And so armor's not so much a part, maybe a little bit, but not like it was in ancient times. And so in Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul says, hey, as followers of Christ, there's got to be armor that we put on. Vanessa alluded to this. How about that sermon? last week about being a cathedral builder come on it's good stuff I was listening to it at the gym on my old man elliptical machine on Wednesday right it's like I want to be a mom so I can be a cathedral builder right powerful she talked about the armor of God and one of the pieces of the armor of God is the shield of faith and what it says when Paul writes about the shield of faith, he says we need this shield of faith. We need this shield. It's not a literal shield. It's, it's a shield of faith. And faith is something that you have in your heart. So that when the enemy sends these fiery darts in the King James or, or, or arrows and, and more, more modern translation, that we can, we can quench those darts when they come. Now, it's not just one arrow at a time. There's times, if you've lived life long enough, it seems as though there's a whole barrage of arrows that are coming at us. You with me? It's like Braveheart when all the, right, and got, they should have made bigger shields, right? Have a bigger shield. So Derek's first movie was when Gladiator came out. Yeah. He was an itty-bitty, teeny little baby that fit into this tiny little car seat. And he slept all the time, like most babies do. And so we're like, we can go to the movie, right? He's not going to even know. He's going to sleep through the whole thing. And so Vanessa and I, after work, and, and we went out and got something to eat. And then we go to the movie. And, and uh, over in the west end of Richmond, it was the West Tower Cinemas. And, and, uh, and so we sat towards the back in case he got a little fussy and he had to go out. But I was all excited about this movie because Ridley Scott's one of my, my favorite directors. Love me some Ridley Scott, right? Black Hawk Down, I'm just saying, he's a genius, right? And so, and so at the beginning of this movie, like a lot of movies today, it's very digitized, and you're not sure what's real and what's not real, but they didn't have that technology back in the day. And so when Ridley Scott made this movie where, where you see the one scene, if you haven't seen it, then you should leave right now and go get it. It's that important that, uh, that there's, there's a scene in the opening where the Roman soldiers are firing all these flaming arrows right at the at, at, at germania the, the army that they're about ready to fight and that was a real scene that there was a forest that was scheduled for deforestations i'm a movie geek so i know about stuff like this and so there was a forest that was scheduled for deforestation and so they hired all these professional archers and in that moment where the where the where the where the uh, where the camera pans back and you see all of these arrows that was that was real it was literal all of those flaming arrows were going and catching those woods on fire. If you want to see a picture of Ephesians 6, you go watch the scene of that movie. 
There's a shield that you're supposed to have. And when those flaming arrows come that are intended to devour your destiny, to devour your hope for the goodness of God today, to, to get you trapped in a place of sin and a pattern of living and a place of disobedience, not that it's going to take from you the heaven that's promised to you in your tomorrows, but he wants to consume and set fire the things of your today. And Paul says, you've got to have a shield. And it's made of faith. And if you've got the right shield with the right kind of faith, then when those arrows come, hey, it's okay. Because they're not going to catch you on fire. They're not going to catch your destiny on fire. The, the part of your life that represents who you are as you're walking through this world, that it just puts them out. So I'm going to give you three, if I have time to get through three, we'll see. I'm going to give you three fiery arrows, I believe, that the devil shoots at us. And they're all lies. Because he's the father of lies, the Bible tells us. We worked through some of these texts before. You might be familiar with them. But the first one is this. It's called the lie of yesterday. Maybe you're, you're here and, 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 and this lie has penetrated your shield of faith. And maybe something is smoldering in your life tonight that needs to be extinguished. The lie of yesterday. In John 20, 17... John 20, 17, there's this powerful encounter that I think is so often misunderstood. And we, we usually reference this text a couple of times a year because I think people get stuck in this lie. Where, where Jesus has already been raised from the dead. And, and Mary Magdalene is, is in the garden and, and, and she thinks that the risen Lord is a gardener. And, 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 and so she comes up to him and she realizes that it's Jesus. And, and Jesus says something interesting to her. He, he says, don't touch me. Now, and there, there's lots of interpretation. Some people feel like, well, because he was in his resurrected state, that if she were to touch him, it would defile him. But we know that's not true because it says that when he came back for Thomas, I love that he comes back for Thomas. Thomas isn't there. He says, I'm going to come back for Thomas because Thomas is unless I see him, unless I touch him with my own hands, right? And so Jesus comes in. And what does he say? He says, Thomas, touch me. So unless he has favorites, Mary, you can't touch me, but Thomas, you can, right? We know this idea of defilement isn't the answer. So what does it mean? And I always think the answer always lies in the text the answer lies in the language the answer lies in the the meaning of the word and and so when you dig around into the greek you find that this greek word that jesus is is is, is used to give us here in the in, in the in the text is the word hopto which really means don't cling to me it means don't don't hold on to me and it's not just a physical holding on to right it it, it means to don't to, to not it, it can be that but it also often means don't cling to something emotionally so hard that you can't let it go they so said you have any pet peeves right? One of Vanessa's pet peeves is don't, she doesn't like people to touch her while she's eating, right? <laughs> right? Do you have some pet peeves, right? Right? And so kids like growing up, like kids are always touching you, right? All the time. And she's like, I'm trying to eat. Don't touch me. You know, you know what? What's my pet peeve? You all know mine? Yes, it's wrinkles, right? So I didn't iron this shirt today because I'm trying to break out a little bit, right? <laughs> trying to break out a little bit. So I might develop a twitch, but right? But I don't like wrinkles, right? And so stuff gets on hangers as I'm transporting. And so you, you've got to ask, when Jesus says things, like, is, 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 are we getting a glimpse into an OCD side of Jesus? People have been touching me for three years. Enough is enough, right? <laughs> People didn't touch me in heaven, right? Is that what he's talking about? No. He's saying to Mary, Mary saw some cool stuff. Can we just say that? 
I don't know how much I'm not up on the history enough to know all the overlap for when Mary became a part of, of, of Jesus' entourage, became a, a, a disciple, but, 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 but what she didn't see, you know she heard about. You think about every miracle that Jesus performed. Mary was either there or she was with people who were. You got to believe that Mary's thinking to herself, Jesus is leaving. Because he said, right, I'm leaving. I'm raising myself from the dead. I'm out of here. The Holy Spirit's going to come. They don't really understand what that means. Mary's thinking to herself, the best is behind me. I walked with him. And now he's going. The miracles that he's performed, who's going to do that now? She was delivered by multiple demons. She was a prostitute. She was an outcast. And here's somebody who had embraced her and loved her and forgiven her. And she's thinking to herself, this world is going to be a lonely place once you leave. And he looks at her in the eye and he says, that is a lie, the lie of yesterday. If you think what we've been doing together for these last years has been good, oh, you just wait and see what's going to happen 50 days from now when the Holy Spirit comes and Pentecost is happening. We are going to turn this world upside down. He was saying to Mary, Mary, you've got to have faith. It's a shield that you've got to carry. You don't know anything about that because Paul hasn't written it, but when it does, it's going to be good. And you've got to have the shield of faith because there's a barrage of arrows that are coming at you right now. And they're all ignited with the lie of yesterday that your best years are behind you. My shield of faith refuses to accept that my best years are behind me. I will not accept the lie of yesterday. That fiery arrow will not make it past my shield of faith. All right, Kevin's going to come up and he's going to play on the keys a little bit. We'll see how far we get in this, but how we've done this before, we're going to come to a place where we're going to pray a little bit, and because if, if you're dealing with a lie of yesterday, come on, we want to extinguish those smoldering things in you now, and then we're going to move on to the next thing. You with me? So it's going to require some courage from you. It's going to qu- require some participation. So in a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand. If, if part of what I've been talking about is something that you've been struggling with, it's up to you whether or not you want to leave smoldering, right, or whether you want to extinguish those flames. Psalm 103, 1 through 5 says, Let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. And may I never forget the good things that he does for me. He forgives all my sin. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. It means good things now, today. My youth is renewed like an eagle. So we're not going to, I'm just saying, if this is, if, I'm telling you, if you know that there are some arrowy, fiery arrows about this lie of yesterday has made it into your life, I'm just going to invite you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to do anything else because I'm going to pray. And this is you standing right now. You standing is just your way of saying, I, I want these things extinguished in my life. And by you standing, you're taking a step of faith to say, my shield's going to get bigger, bigger right now. You're with me? My shield's going to get bigger. It's going to be infused with faith. So Father, we pray for every person that's standing up right now. We pray for every person, God, that there is a a holy, sacred fire extinguisher that's 
filled with the word of your truth that is being poured over them right now and every arrow that has passed through that represents the lie of yesterday that it's extinguished right now in Jesus' name and that even now, oh God, their shield of faith is just getting thicker and stronger and bigger and so that tomorrow when they wake up or maybe tonight when they're going to bed and there's another arrow that shot their way about their best days being behind them because they've lost their vision and their hope for a future and a tomorrow that something's going to rise up inside of them and says not anymore that I believe that my God is good that Psalm 27 13 is a promise for me and those verses Fred read tonight they're for me and that my God has a destiny and a plan and a future and that my best days they're not behind me they are ahead of me and that God I believe that with you there's always more and your more is always better come on in Jesus' name come on and everybody said amen that's good come on you should clap I'm just going to say there were a lot more people standing up by the time I was done praying than when I started, right? There should be something inside of you that says, I'm not waiting for the other person to stand up, right? I'm just going to press you tonight. There should be something inside. I don't care if I'm the only one standing, I'm standing, right? Whenever we come to moments like this at the end of the service, the beginning of the service, in the worship set, in moments like this, I'm just wanting, I'm not being condemning. I'm, I'm pressing you. There should be something inside of you that says, I'm hungry for what God has for me, even if I'm the only one. All right? Come on. That's good. Complimenting myself. We believe in that here at the City Life Church. My fortune cookie story is better than your fortune cookie story. Thank you, Kevin. That's good. You're going to hang up here for a minute, or you can go back down. doesn't matter. I'll have you come back up. I'm going to preach a little bit, and then I'll call you back up. Is that good? Can you say thank you to Kevin? That's good. Thing. See, I just appreciate Kevin. He didn't know he was going to be doing that. I just grabbed him. Say, I need you. I need you to play a little bit tonight. He said, come on, I'm, I'm, I'll do it. We'll probably do one more. I probably won't do the third one. If you want to hear the third one, the ferry leaves for Surrey at 930 tomorrow morning. I'll see you there. I'm going to talk about the lie of disappointment. It's a big one for us. I think this is going to be a big one for some of you here tonight. I I love the story of Jacob falling in love. He goes to this faraway land, into Padan Aram, and he's running for his life because he's done some bad things, and, and he's hoping to find a wife while he's there, and so that he meets this man by the name of Laban who has these two daughters. And, and, and so he, he, he loves Rachel, and, but Rachel has a sister. Her name is Leah. And so, so he goes to the, to, to the, to the, to, to the father. And, and, uh, and how many of you are married here and you've done this where you've gone to the father to ask for your, your I know, yeah, it's a weighty thing, isn't it? And so how many of you, when you got there, the father said, you can marry my daughter, but you've got to work for me for the next seven years? How many... Right? And, and it, because yeah, Cam, Cam works for his father. That's awesome. You're, that's hilarious. <laughs> that's great. I love it. I know, don't raise your hand, but if your father in law had said that to you, how many of you would be married today? Right? And before your, the wives are saying, hey, what do you mean? It just, what if the tables had been turned and it was you had to work for his mother for seven years? Just asking. Just asking. Uh, you're like, whoa, hey, don't be getting crazy on me, Fred. That's, a, that's not how it was in the Bible, so let's not add anything to the text, right? 
so he says, seven years, it's going to be like a day. I love her so much. But when the seven years came to an end, he went to Laban and said, give me your daughter. I want to sleep with her, right? All the romanticism was done, over, right? <laughs> it's not quite the motivation that Rachel was hoping for. So he goes and he gets married and next morning, all of a sudden he realizes, right, this is why they should not serve alcohol at weddings. <laughs> he wakes up the next day and it's not Rachel, it's Leah. He's like, what, what's going on here? You can read the story, it's, it's, a, it's Genesis 29, you can dig around in there, it's an amazing story. So Laban says, well, well you've got to work for me another seven years, but, but I won't make you wait for your marriage this time. And so now at the end of seven years, he has two wives, but now he's got to work for another, another seven years. So I think this is a powerful story for, for many reasons, and we, we talked about this years ago as a church family. I think this is a powerful story. There's so many lessons for us that we can find in the Old Testament because this is the journey of our life. Not, not probably in the context of marriage, pro well, probably in the context of marriage, but maybe in a different way, is that sometimes as you get to know people, it, you find out that maybe they're not who you thought they were. See, because there's this idea, which I think Scripture is trying to teach us, sometimes Rachel and Leah are the same person. And, and if you're around people long enough, you, 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 you want to be their friend because of the Rachel that you know them to be, but then the, the longer you spend time with them, you begin to realize there's some Leah that's in there too. And the question is, what happens when the veil is lifted and you discover some things about people that disappoint you? Because what happens, I think, too often is what happens in the story, if you track that through, is that rejection comes to Leah. Now, we've always taught this text before to caution you about not rejecting people when you're disappointed by them, and that's another sermon for another time. But what I want to share with you tonight is, and we teach that because that, 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 that harms that person, just like Leah was harmed by the way that Jacob treated her. But what I want to share with you tonight, this thing that I want to press you with, this lie of disappointment, not only does rejection hurt them, but as I was studying, praying through this, I really felt like God was speaking to me that the rejection, it hurts you. Because sometimes God brings people into our lives, not just so that we can help them change, but even people that we look at and think to ourselves, wow, they need a lot of work. Even those people, sometimes God brings them into your life for the change that needs to happen in you. That even if you think that you are spiritually superior, right? And let's say for the sake of argument, you are much farther along in, in your journey that oftentimes God connects your life to so many different people, some ahead and some behind. It's what Ephesians 4 talks about, that every part is fit jointly together, each one doing its part. And, and what I felt like God was speaking to my, my heart for tonight and then also for tomorrow morning. We'll see if we preach that tomorrow morning. Who knows, maybe I'm going to do spiritual language there, right? We'll see, we'll see. So I have to tell you this joke. This is a commercial break. So Kevin and I have a great business plan, right? I've, I've been getting all of these. I don't know who's doing the direct marketing for all these dating websites, but I've been getting inundated with them, right? I've been married for 17 years, and I'm getting, I'm getting crazy ones, right? Like farmer.com and like black people meet 
And like, right? Not that I'm against that, but I'm like, have, they, have you seen me recently, right? <laughs> Just saying, right? It's like, who's doing their marketing, right? I don't fit into any of these categories. And so, so Kevin and I, we've come up with one for Pentecostals. It's going to be called Shondala.com. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so if you're, if you're Pentecostal, you can meet other people. Who, who, who like spiritual language. So that's just my commercial break, just throwing that in. Right? Some of you are, already aren't coming back ever again, so, right? So we're just, all right. So, so, so this, this idea that, that you were incomplete without other people, can, can, can I just say that to you? You, you were called to be a part of a church family. And people that are, are, are not part of a church family, they are disconnected they're living less, and they will not fulfill their destiny. They will not. Because you cannot fulfill your destiny unless you're connected to other people. Read the Bible. Ephesians 4 might not be in their Bible. It's in my Bible. You can't do it all by yourself. And there's parts of your destiny that are only going to be fulfilled if your life is connected to other people. Hey, and guess what? Not all of those people that you're supposed to be connected to are going to be perfect. All right, well, let's read it together. Ephesians 4. I think it's in here. I wasn't really planning on being familiar with these notes until tomorrow. All right. Ephesians 4. I'm going to turn there. Ephesians 4. No, it's past here. Nope, it's right there. All right. It's a lot of pressure finding chapters in the Bible when 200 people are staring at you. All right. Ephesians 4. All right, I'm going to start reading in verse 15. Listen to what the text says. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. What's Paul saying there? He's saying, hey, all of us are on this journey of growing together. None of us are perfect. So you've got, from, from right here, from, from the outset, he's saying this idea of a church family, it's a group of imperfect people, people who are flawed, lots of Leah in all of us. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. The body fits together perfectly, not because the parts and the components are perfect, but they're fit together perfectly when you are obedient to the call of God, to the church that you're supposed to call home, that you are fit perfectly together with imperfect people. As each part does its own special work, there's a special work that you're called to do, and there are, there's a special work that other imperfect people are called to do, and that your work's not going to get done unless you're connected to all these other people. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I'm not saying the emotion of disappointment is wrong. Let me share this thought with you. I'm saying that using that emotion as permission to withdraw from people, that's wrong. It's wrong. And it's sin. It's not going to take the heaven that's waiting for you then away from you, but it's going to take your heaven that's away now. It's going to take it from you. It will rob you of the influence that you're supposed to have. It will marginalize the destiny that you were supposed to fulfill. 
I think one of the ways that, that, we, get, that we get stuck with people, we, we talk, this is in 1 Corinthians 10, I'm not going to read it, you can, just if you're a note taker, you can write it down in 1 Corinthians 10, it's a powerful chapter in the Bible because it talks about three different ways that sin gets categorized and, and, and one, we call them, we, we call them uh, issues of morality, the phrase that's actually used in the text is must not, in verse 8, verse 1 Corinthians 10, 8, the, Paul's talking about things that you must not do, right, there, there are absolutes, we talked about that in our, in our sermon about unity, there are absolutes absolutes, and then there's things that aren't absolutes, and Paul's saying, hey, there are absolutes, and, and, and some of the things that he talks about, absolute, you can read the text. He gives us some examples. He talks about sexual immorality. He talks about idolatry, and just so you, sexual immorality, it's a very clear definition in the Bible. Sexual immorality is any sexual activity or sexually romantic relationship that's outside of the context of marriage, and it's not between a man and a woman. The Bible just could not be more clear about what that is. And if that's something that you're struggling with, if it, and maybe you're afraid to let people get close to you, what we're saying at the City Life Church, this is a safe place. Is if that's the Leah inside of you, we're not going to reject you, but we are going to challenge you. And, and your responsibility when you let your Leah out is, is that you have to be careful not to say, well, you're rejecting me because you're asking me to change. No, come on. It's because we love people that we challenge each other to change in the areas that we need to change. I need people challenging me to change. You need people that love you enough to challenge you to change. That's part of the Ephesians 4 experience when we join our lives together. But as you continue reading in 1 Corinthians 10, he uses another phrase. In verse 29, he calls them matters of conscience. And then in verse 33, he uses this phrase, so that many might be saved. Paul was a, an alliterator like me. They're all in words, and I appreciate him for that. There's issues of morality, there's matters of conscience, right? These are things that, well, it might violate your conscience, but it's not an absolute, and it might not violate someone else's conscience, so don't put that on them. So there might be times where the veil comes back and you think that it's a Leah, but it's not a Leah because it's not an absolute. The problem's with you because you're projecting your own matters of conscience on other people, and you can't do that. And then he goes on further, and he talks about this idea of forgoing liberties, meaning that you're willing to not do things it's not an issue of morality. It doesn't violate your conscience, but you just choose to lay it down because for the moment or the season that you're in, you don't want to be troublesome to other people. It's powerful, isn't it? That's a whole different kind of Christian living. And I think sometimes this idea of Rachel and Leah, which is it, is because we just we don't understand that there's all different kinds of definitions for sin. What, what, I'm, saying, what I'm saying to you is this. If you go deep into a church family, if you're here long enough, there's going to be moments where the veil gets pulled back and you're going to see Aaliyah in front of you. And you've got to make a decision, what are you going to do in that moment? And what I'm saying to you, if you're one of those people where you're a judgmental, if you're one of those people where pride has a hold of your heart and you just you, you, you begin to withdraw from relationships when you're supposed to be pressing in, when these conversations begin to happen, I'm just saying, I'm just saying to you, then you're pulling away from the body of Christ that you're supposed to be connected to. And not only are you not going to change the way you're supposed to change, but other people aren't going to change the way that they're supposed to change. And that's what being in community is about, is that we're helping each other change change together if you pull back you marginalize the destiny that you're supposed to live because you're pulling back from people that you're supposed to be connected to and the work that they're supposed to do is supposed to be connected to the work that you're supposed to do so the dream of God can be fulfilled all right so Kevin's going to come back up my shield of faith refuses to accept that my church family is inferior. I will not accept the lie of disappointment 
those fiery arrows will not make it past my shield of faith. Some of you are thinking now, I wish I'd stood up at one of the other ones because this one is really hard. Galatians 6, 1 through 3, love this chapter. Dear brothers and sisters, Paul writes, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Isn't that great? Be, be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. What temptation is that? I think there's lots of interpretations. I think the one that makes sense to me is that don't fall into the same temptation like they fell into, which I get to do what I want when I want to do it. That's what led to their sin. If you reject this person now, then you're doing what you want to do when you want to do it, and that's a sin to God too. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think that you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. Listen to what he says. Because you are not that important. Don't you love Paul? <laughs> so this is going to be our last one tonight. I'm just, if you're here, I know it's not going to be easy. And, and you'd be willing to say, Fred, I'm one of those people. I'm just one of those people that I get disappointed with people and then I, I just, I want to withdraw. I just, I judge too much. I'm too, I just, I'm, I'm just, I hear what you're saying, Fred. I'm one of those people. And I know that those arrows make it through my shield of faith. This is a very different one. I know because it's a very personal one, but can I just say there's a very personal side to this walk with Christ. And part of it being personal is sometimes it's public. Sometimes you having the courage to stand and say, I'm not going to be that person anymore. It's just your way of saying to God, I don't care if the world sees because probably that's part of my problem to begin with. I'm too concerned about what people think of me. So I'm just, I'm going to start praying and I'm just trusting some of you, you're going to stand. You know this, you know who you are. I'm just saying, don't let this moment pass you by. Don't let it pass you by. Father, for every person who has the courage to stand up here in this room tonight, we know that it's not easy, but Father, we say, let it be that there is again just a holy, sacred fire extinguisher from heaven that is just pouring down upon the smoldering flames of a judgmental heart and a judgmental attitude and the smoldering coals of pride because, Father, we know that those things, they just that the devil's going to come and fan those flames and it's just going to get worse. Father, we want to have a shield of faith that says, I'm going to stand. And when I see people around me and I find about Aaliyah inside of them, that's not going to cause me to pull back from them. It's going to cause me to run toward them. That I'm going to be willing to bear their burden with them. That I'm going to be a voice of encouragement in their life. That I'm going to be a part of their journey of transformation. Not just because of the change that needs to take place in them, but because I know that there is a gift in them. That you have deposited in them. And that my destiny will not make it without them. That I want to be connected to my church family. I want my heart to be connected. That we're all imperfect together. And there is a dream that you have dreamed 
for this church, the City Life Church. And you have dreamed a dream for every person who calls it home, oh God. And we want to build the work and do the things that you've called us to do together. Together. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said, amen. 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 So I want to close this way. Then I'm going to let you go. This is in Psalm 91, 9 through 16. Oh, you got to love the Psalms. Come on, stand with me, and I'm going to just read this as a declaration over your life. Love Psalm 91. Come on, if you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Lord your refuge, and if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home, for He will order His angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And you will trample upon lions and cobras, and you will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. And when they call on me, I will answer and I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them and I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Father, we thank you for the work that you are doing in us even now and we thank you for the work that you're going to be doing in us as we leave this place tonight. May it be for all of us, God, that our shield of faith is going to get a little bit bigger. It's going to be a little bit thicker. It's going to be a little bit more ready so that when the fiery darts and the arrows of the enemy that come, they cannot steal the heaven that is promised to me in my eternity, but the fires, the arrows that come to try to consume the heaven that is supposed to me by today, the destiny that you've called me to live, the influence that you've called me to steward, the ministry that you have put into our hands, that as a church tonight that we're going to smolder a little bit less and the living water of Jesus Christ our great Savior and Lord is going to rule and reign in our lives in Jesus' name come on and everybody said together Amen we'll see you next week